Hey everyone, welcome to another Wildlife for You podcast episode. I'm your host, Stephanie Payne, and I'm here with my co-host and friend, Daryl Ratajek, and we talk about wildlife and conservation in ways that make sense. You know, you're not going to believe this, Steph, but I'm actually kind of glad you're back. Aw, thanks. It's good to be back. So, you going to tell us first how your trip to Disney World was, or, or Universal, wherever, wherever you went down in the Florida panhandle? It's not even in the oh, panhandle. Yes, the it's peninsula. in Central. I meant, I meant peninsula. <laughs> okay. Well, for so let, let me say for starters, I listened to the podcast, of course, and you need a major correction. What? I am so, I am not 52. I am only 46, but nice try there, bud. Um, anyway, the, the trip was good, though. It was warm and full of, you know, great times, good food. I did learn that after a year of confinement and wearing pretty much just slippers, it made the eight to 10 miles of daily walking in real shoes, like pretty annoying and painful. You do know that you can still walk during a pandemic? Uh, hush, you're just ruining my laziness excuse now. Anyway, yeah, trip was fantastic and very well needed. And I do have to say, actually, I was super proud that you kept last week's episode down to a listenable time frame. I thought for sure you'd like blather and bleed on for hours without me there tapping my watch. Well, I, it's funny you mentioned that because it was a close call. I struggled. I, I tell you what, I struggled trying to figure out how the heck I was going to survive without you. And like a light bulb came off over my head because it's like, oh my gosh, I could I could tell stories. I could talk to Frank Costanza, also known as my dad, and we can kind of share stories about how how I grew up in the outdoors and hopefully provide some inf information and inspiration to some of our listeners. And holy moly, <laughs> you talk about getting sidetracked. We, we would we would talk stories and just so you know I saved them all and they're going to be keepsakes for me. But as as he's describing things, he's talking about like going down Seneca Street past the bakery and you know where Frank used to work and he used to cook those really good bagels <laughs> and and it's like there was just so much fluff. So if I if I interviewed my dad, which I did, but if I aired that, it would have been like four and a half hours. So. Well, you, you did really well, and I enjoyed listening to it. So so with that, though, tonight's topic is a tough one. Um, you know, we, we really need to do a webinar on this to help people with the visuals, but I'd like to talk about cougars and do what we can to help our listeners know when to, you know, throw the yellow flag on a supposed cougar sighting photo. Oh my gosh, you, you are a woman after my own heart you know, I love this topic. And so I am so glad we're going to be talking about this. And I have done a few webinars regarding this topic, but I think we ought to do another webinar. We also need to do some Facebook posts, but here's the thing. We're, we're doing a podcast right now and it's going to be really difficult. So we're going to have to be really careful because we'll be describing rather than showing. And so I will make a mental note to try to cover all this on either a future Facebook post or a webinar. So anyway, how do you suppose we're going to tackle this episode? Hmm. Well, now that's a good question. So obviously we're going to have to stick with reliable ways to visualize through words. So that means we'll have to do a really good job with our words to bring those mental pictures together. Yeah, no pressure there. Yeah. So do you want to start with the problem that we're addressing or the ways to help our listeners determine what they may be seeing? No, let, let me start with the problem, because I, I tell you what, just defining the problem is likely to cause problems right off the bat. OK, so what we're getting at here with tonight's episode is we're going to be discussing some of these proclaimed cougar observations or cougar sightings, and especially in places where they haven't existed in a really, really long time. Now, I want to start off by saying it is human nature. It's built into our psyche. It's built into the way we evolved that we try to be really diligent about seeing and recognizing like big, scary things. Back thousands of years ago when we were maybe more than thousands of years ago, but when we were living in caves or like in the forest, 
we had to be really careful to recognize a predator that was sneaking up on us. And so our mind was hyper vigilant about detecting these animals. And so it's still built into our genetic code that we're going to see things that may not really be there. Like I said, because of the way we evolved, we're kind of programmed to see those things. So when we're talking about this episode here and trying to determine what people see when they make these claims that are somewhat kind of out there, here we are, we're coming along and we're trying to tell people they likely didn't see what they said they saw. And you know how that sounds. It, it sounds really cocky on our part. Yeah. That's for the record, that hypervigilance, it still helps a lot in those other countries with some of those cultures that still live out in the wilds. So, I mean, that's, that's even still relevant today that we are ingrained to see the big scary um, that could potentially eat or kill us. Let's be clear here though. You know, we're not in the business of trying to disprove everything that we see. The bottom line is, although anything is possible, there's usually much simpler and better explanations for lots of these supposed sightings. So our goal as scientists is to look at the evidence objectively and to use basic facts and understanding of wildlife to make a professional call. Can but I jump one in? Thing... <laughs> I, you, you did, so I guess yeah. you can. Have you ever heard of Occam's razor? Yes. Okay. For those <laughs> listening, Occam's razor, it, it's literally this idea of choosing the simplest, most basic, most the easiest explanation because that is usually the right explanation when you get involved with all these crazy ideas trying to explain something usually you're going off on a tangent so um what you were just describing i'm like oh that's occam's razor okay i digress you may continue why thank you sir so the you know the one thing that we do need to add in is in all those photos where that, that we get where there, or that you see, that you, you listeners, you see, if the object is blurry, too far away, partially obscured, um, or if the image is doctored in any way, or if somebody is like refusing to provide originals so that metadata can be examined, there's really just no way to make any legitimate definitive call on anything because there's no clear evidence and potentially You've even got some intentional misinformation that's being provided. So having said that, wildlife professionals are pretty good at picking up on cues uh, that the general public may not know to look for. And that's what we're really kind of hoping to go over today. That was good. I love that explanation. And literally what we're dealing with here, the, the problem for many people is they're trying to identify an animal that they may not really be familiar with. And so face it, I, I understand people have seen lots of photos, they've read magazines, they saw it in books, they watched TV or saw it on a video of these animals, these cougars, otherwise known as mountain lions. But I'll tell you, even when you live in lion country out west or in that far tip of Florida where you go vacationing all the time, hardly anyone, even in those areas, hardly anyone has a whole lot of experience seeing a wild cougar in real life. Yeah. Yeah. The issue is really compounded when we consider how difficult some blatant aspects like, like size, when we consider that those are, are actually really difficult to convey in any two dimensional format that lacks scale. So let's, let's break that down a bit. When a person views any image, we use far more than just our eyes to determine what we're seeing. Our mind is trying to provide context. And it's really easy for our mind to make questionable decisions from 2D images viewed by our 2D eyes. Does, did, that, did that make any sense, Dee? Yes, it absolutely does. And I've got some great examples that I'm going to throw at you later that hopefully won't blindside you too much. But just like you said, uh, scale is sometimes impossible because everything in a picture usually has the ability to be dynamic. <laughs> well, in your mind, I was gonna, I was going to say like all different shapes and sizes, especially since the angle and distance, it can skew what your mind interprets. Yep. That's dynamic ability to change, not static or fixed or set. Yada, anyway, yada. I mean, <laughs> I mean, so think of it though, a close up of a small tree looks like a huge tree 
you know, even if you have a car or something uh, in, in an image, two dimensions still mess with how your mind interprets things. Because again, you know, we're 3D creatures living in a 3D world with eyes that only see in 2D. So we've trained our minds to make interpretations. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to extrapolate depth. And that's, that's what we call stereoscopic vision. So when we look at things, our brain uses things like relative size and motion to determine depth. And then, you know, our minds, they really suck at this in real life for anything greater than like 18 to 20 feet away. And that's why something that's out in a field or a forest that's far away, your mind definitely can see that and, and it make it look a lot bigger than what it actually really is. Yeah, that's a good explanation. But we can't forget scale because our brains, they automatically make assumptions on size. It's kind of what they're programmed to do. So like you said, Steph, when, when our brains try to use relative size from an image or say, say from a distance, we're literally making it up unless we have an easy, legitimate scale that's like right next to the object we're trying to identify. In, in other words, we're, we're, our brain is kind of making up the details in our mind's eye. And, and remember what I said about us being pre-programmed to see scary things? Mm-hmm. Like I said, it, in, unless we have something scalable or something of known size right there next to that object. And that's right there next to an object is key. You're right. Because that negative space in a 2D image or from our 2D eyes, it's impossible to determine. You know, even if it's a field of grass, the distance between a front image object and a background object is incredibly hard to determine. And right what you said, therein lies our first problem. If there's a cat in the mid or the foreground and what seems like a, a big forest far away in the background, without being able to really ascertain the depth or scale, saying it's a, a a big animal is really tough. And I've seen so many images where something looks huge and it's, it's not, I, my mind just went really weird. <laughs> and it's all just a matter of finding something to apply like real scale to it, which we can't always do without asking a person to go like where that image was taken and say, stand in that exact spot and start measuring distances. Yep. Yep. And that was actually what had to happen with our most recent Cat in Georgia video. You know, you, we, we both said over and over to the journalist that was talking to us that, hey, you need to go there because without going there, all of us just talking, it's pointless um, because it was just an argument of their perception versus what we were seeing. And when he did, um, you know, he actually called, I think he called both of us. I know he called me, but I think he called you and he said how obvious it was that as soon as he got there, everything, then he legitimately had scale. So it was obvious that it was just, you know, a normal old house cat in this video. But without, without that true scale understanding, we're just seeing relationships and nothing more, you know? So that being said, let's, let's take a second though. Um, It's about cougar. So let's take a second and, and convey the size of a cougar to something every person can use and understand. And what would that be? Themselves. You know, so let's, I'll make an assumption here, but let's assume that all of our listeners are between five and six feet tall. So that said, an average cougar's shoulders will hit you, dear listener, somewhere between the mid and upper thigh close to your hip. Um, And, you know, the average bobcat is going to be, you know, just around knee height. If you're really tall, it might be a little bit below your knee, but they're going to be just about knee height. Whereas the average house cat falls anywhere in like the mid calf and in down range. And all of that is when these cats are on all fours. So if they're standing on their hind legs, the cougar is easily, easily taller or eye to eye with our shorter listeners and still like chin to nose height um, with our taller listeners, because these are, these are long cats and their back legs are actually longer than their front legs. A bobcat, um, you know, if they stood up, they're going to be, about hip height uh, and a house cat's going to be somewhere just above the knee area. So, and I'm talking now with their heads. I'm not, you know, talking about how high they can extend their front legs up. Ooh, I like that uh, description with the cat on all fours and then 
extending up on on two feet that that puts it in a really good picture in my mind's eye as, as far as what you're talking about but let's let's it's, talk well hold on, not to interrupt you but that's it's actually a tough call for me to make because i've worked with two cougars one was a small female and the other one was a pretty robust and large male and you know so the the small female i'm again i'm I'm five, five. Um, I don't know if there's an again there, but anyway, I'm five, five and the small female, she actually was just about nose height, you know, like she was almost eye to eye with me. Um, but not quite, but the big male, oh my gosh. I mean, he, he was, his head was above the top of my head. So, I mean, he was a big guy. Carry on. Sorry. No, you're five, five shorty. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So let wait, (laughs) let's talk about perspective. No, let me change the subject. (laughs) let's let's entertain this idea of perspective because yeah because it's different down here for a short people (laughs) 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 sorry i couldn't help it it's okay now hold on let's talk about perspective because perspective distortion is a common and super easy way to fool a human brain perspective when it's intentional is how we capture 3D perception in images in a 2D format. And just so you know, I completely understand this concept. And have you ever have you ever heard the term forced perspective? Mm-mm. Okay. I explain this all the time since I'm a fisherman and you probably know this too because you're a fisherman. You ever see those photos where someone's holding the fish way out in front of them and yeah. it looks huge? That, I've actually, is, wait, have you seen the one where the kid ties it to a tree and then stands back and his yes. friend tells him how to, yeah, okay, carry yeah, on. That, that's forced perspective. The The thing that gets me even worse than fishermen, because fishermen, obviously, they're they're trying to, the, you ever see pictures of a snake? Everyone always catches a snake at the end of a pole, and then they extend not just their arm, but the pole way in front towards the camera, and the snake looks like it's an eight-foot-long snake, when in reality, it's like two and a half feet long. So that's kind of what I'm okay. talking about with forced per- perspective. So, so the forced perspective is the activity that the human is doing. But what you're actually talking about in the image is perspective distortion. Yes. So yes, a- exactly. we are on the same page. Yes. And so I want you to explain this whole idea of perspective. So nerd out on me stuff. Okay. Okay. Well, perspective, it's all about spatial relationships between objects within an image. Um, you know, perspective, it makes a two-dimensional image sometimes feel like a three-dimensional scene. It's, you know, it's also about the point of view or the placement of like the sensor plate, so like a camera or your eyes in relation to the subject, something that professional photographers, they work really hard to learn to do this appropriately. You know, the average image and I'm talking just the average, not a stage, to the average image from any one of us, unless we got super lucky with a pick, absolutely lacks perspective, um, especially actually with eye level images. But think about it. So, you know, not not just the pictures we were talking about with the intentional um, misinformation through that forced perspective. But if you're if you're standing up in a field and you want to take a picture of the field because it's super pretty, when you take that picture, all you see is a lot of uniform vegetation. Like it it doesn't really, you don't have any sense of of yes. perspective, scale, anything. But if you lower yourself down so that you know the tops of the nearest stalks of tall grass or flowers are in the image, and then you see it all spreading out behind there it actually gives the rest of the image that depth that you are currently lacking it, you know, when you're standing up, but you know, it still lacks scale, but, but you can visualize there just how the size and perspective changes with a bit of up and down or side to side movement. Um, And of course, with any movement angles immediately become distorted and size is completely skewed um, and it's completely and easily confuses our very powerful but very gullible mind. Yes, and I'm so glad you described it that way because I, whenever I'm taking pictures, and I take a ton of pictures when I'm out on the trail, and I, I constantly preach to other people, like, stop holding the phone in front of your face to take pictures. Get down on the ground, climb up on a rock, do, do it from a different angle because it's going to, 
it's going to like really make those pictures pop. And so uh, you described it perfectly. So good, good job on that. But what I want to do is, is continue with this problem of perspective. And so Steph, do you, do you remember that Cumberland Plateau cat? I do. I do. So for our listeners, this was an image that Daryl asked me to review. Uh, and just so you know, at a glance, it, it, it actually looked kind of promising as a potential cougar sighting. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. Well, and just so you know, because our minds, when we first saw that photo, we saw fallen trees and the surrounding trees, um, they, they're huge. And, and then there's this giant cat walking on, on top of that fallen tree. Yep. Yep. Absolutely great. All the way until I pointed out that bird box hanging on a tree in the background. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> anyway, with that particular photograph, the camera was placed sort of low on a tree. And off in the near distance, we see what Stephanie just described, this, this black thing. It was a bird box. And what was it that you said, Steph? I said, I said, Daryl, unless that's a pterodactyl box and not a normal owl box, then this is a house cat. Uh, yep. And I remember that because like, I wasn't even paying attention to that. I was just focusing everything on that cat. But it's, it's funny because as soon as we understood the, the depth and scale a little more, other things began jumping out and telling us it was pretty much a house cat that we were looking at. And if you recall, after... After we're like, yeah, I really think this is a house cat, uh, I contacted the owner of that camera, and I got him to send us additional photos from that exact same location, and I asked if he had other animals in it, and he sent us some photos of deer, like I said, from that a very exact same camera location, and truth be told, that really put the nail in the coffin, because we superimposed those photos of the deer onto this supposed cougar. And that cougar could run underneath the deer's leg with about two feet to spare. <laughs> anyway, the, the reason for all of that, and the reason it is hard to tell initially, when we didn't have all that other information, it was because the camera was placed pretty low. So everything in that photograph looked taller. And of course, that's why our mind's eye thought everything was huge. Yep, yep. And speaking of things that jumped out at us, Let's talk about the true size and the normal posture of a cougar's tail, which for the record for everybody is one of the physical characteristics that we always look for. Yeah, the good old cougar tail. Um, you have to understand, cougars use their tails for balance whenever they're leaping or running, and they actually have a pretty light, but it's a really strong skeleton. And so they use that heavy tail to help balance them during like those quick turns or on uneven ground or whenever they leap. And their, their thick and heavy tail is, is one of the things that we look for as a wildlife biologist in these pictures. We look for it because it's really, really long. It's like two thirds the length of their body from nose to say the hip area. And that's how long their tail is. And because it's so long and heavy, they usually carry it a certain way that's pretty distinctive. And even then, it's, it's usually almost dragging the ground. And so that tail is a great counterweight. And if I didn't mention it before, these guys have serious leaping power. And I'm sure you don't know this. Actually, I'm sure you do know this. But like the horizontal leap of a cougar can be as, as long as 45 feet. And they've even been recorded like leaping vertical distances of like 15 feet. So maybe because like you said, Steph, their back legs are longer than their front legs. It, they're almost like frog-like. And so it's like a lot of leverage for leaping. And the reason they have that, remember, they're burst predators. They attack fast. And those legs definitely, definitely help them. Yep, 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 yep. Um, yeah, for sure. And... I got it. You mentioned, you know, when you're talking about legs and tails and running and jumping and, you know, you've got to for sure let me talk about their feet. Um, you know, so cats and dogs, they all walk in a manner that we call digitigrade, which means they're walking on their digits. Um, think of it as, as tiptoeing. Um, humans, bears, elephants, all of us like full footers, um, 
we walk in a manner called plantigrade, which means we're using our whole foot versus, you know, the ones that are tiptoeing and walking on their digits, digitigrade. Anyway, um, I say all that because cougars also have some, some big old feet with webbed skin and fur between their toes that literally muffle sound as they're walking. Of course, that also helps in, in mud or on snow or whatever. But when you see tracks, usually you see four toe pads um, in front of a, a smooth but calloused three-lobed heel pad that it sort of makes a super fat capital M impression. Um, and rarely ever will you see claws, you know. With cats, we often say that they have retractable claws, but honestly, that's like a very effortless state for the cat to be in. So they should actually call them protractable claws because it actually is more muscle movement to put them out, um, which for the record is a, a thought I stole from a dude named um, Kilty who wrote the book, How Cats Work. Anyway, sometimes they, they drop those claws for added traction for that, that burst, for that run, or for that jump. Um, you know, I... <laughs> totally kind of went off track there. Uh, I have a, a animal foot thing, but anyway, I really what just meant to say about their feet is again, the sheer size of them, the heel pad width of a cougar is like two and a half to three inches. So I know, I know guys have issues with measuring. So I'll just tell you, I actually, I got my ruler out last night and I measured across the very widest part of my palm and it was three inches. So literally a cougar's heel pad is as wide as my hand so you know that's it's just really cool um well not all guys have problems measuring but that's a whole lot less than having a foot fetish for animals <laughs> anyway <laughs> feet. animal feet are just cute Anyway, your your hand sounds sounds kind of small, but you are kind of little there, Squirt. Actually, at five foot five, as mentioned, I'm kind of normal, so I guess that just makes you kind of a tall jerk. Ouch! <laughs> you just called me a jerk. <laughs> called you a tall jerk. <laughs> Can I change the subject real quick and talk about coloration? I, you know that might actually be recommended. Okay. All right, so, well, cougars, when we're talking about coloration, we, we often say that cougars are tawny because you know that's a color we always use in normal day life. And I was thinking about that. It's like tawny. The only time I ever used tawny, wasn't there like an actress, tawny, tawny something? Tawny Katane, yeah. Tawny Katane. She was married to a rock star and played in his and video. She was a, <laughs> I was going to say, she was a cougar too. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, um, I digress. She was a very nice person, I imagine. So, <laughs> anyway, here's, here's what we mean when we say a cougar is tawny. I'll describe it. Let me describe tawny as kind of like the color of desert sand near, near the end of the day or, or even as it nears sunset. I'm trying Aww, to be poetic. I'm waxing yeah. poetic here. <laughs> it's a really good way to use those words to help us with visuals. <laughs> Hey, I listen when you talk short stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, that that's that tawny is pretty much the color that they are, or that I shouldn't say that tawny that that cool desert sand look is is pretty much the color they are. Now, they usually do have a little bit more coloration on their face, like white on the very front of their muzzle, surrounded by a really dark brown on their well, we'll say their cheeks. They all look like they, they wear like rock star eyeliner and usually have a bit more light color around their eyes and on the inside of the front of their ears, which I will add are sometimes darker on the backside. Um, I, I want to talk about ears separately, so hold off on more ear stuff, okay? Yes, ma'am. I, I want to elaborate on ears too, or maybe you, you I'm, that's probably where you're going to go. Anyhow, that desert color that I was describing when it, we're talking about the whole body, is very uniform for the most part. Hence, their scientific name. The genus and species is Puma Concolor, meaning one color. And so that brown, sandy, tawny color is where they get their scientific name. So just remember, only, only the wee little kittens, they have spots when they're born, but those soon wear off. But uh, when they're adults... They have this uniform brown. Their underside is a bit lighter, like 
heavily creamed coffee and they usually have and this is really important they usually have a dark tip on the end of their tail it's very very indicative of cougars yep yep so with with the ears yeah i'm stealing your thunder here bud but let's let's just be clear sure cougars have white on the front inside of their ears and yes we can find rare examples where they have like a whitish or grayish like globular shape mixed in with that dark color on the back of their ears. But it is not a super common trait. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Because generally, if you see white on the back of a cat's ear, especially if it's if it's really defined and sort of shaped like a boomerang, and it's like bright white too, um, that's a dead giveaway that you're looking at a bobcat. In addition, you'll notice we didn't say anything about tufty cheeks. Cougars have like a sleek and slender face. Tufty cheeks in any way, shape, or form mean a bobcat. Yep. I actually always joke with my 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 fatness, my cat, uh, my born cat, that he's got the face of a cougar because it's just this beautiful, pristine, slender, perfect bone. I mean, he's, he's beautiful. Anyway, but yeah, the, the problem with wild animals is you just can't get them to pose for pictures. I mean, heck, we usually can't even get a clear image with the animal standing completely still, much less one that's moving. Um, But that brings me to my last point. And the last thing we look for is, well, location, location, location. Um, Does everyone want to be that one person who gets an image that will give them 15 minutes of fame? Oh, heck yeah. But if that image is from any location where cougars are known to pretty much not be, then it's better to be super skeptical of what you're looking at. And, and I can honestly say it doesn't matter how many folks swear up and down that so-and-so saw a cougar. So obviously they're here. If it is not their documented range or right up against that documented range, odds are very, very high that this is not a cougar. I'm going to throw something in real quick because you just spurred my memory because so many people will hear an eyewitness account from someone they know. And you don't know how many times I've heard it stuff where they're like, Oh, so-and-so is a pastor. He's not going to (laughs) lie. And it's like, I know that he's not going to lie, but he's not going to know what a cougar is. (laughs) Yeah. That's the problem. Okay. So that was that was a great description that you did about the, the issues with photographs or your, your mind playing tricks on you with perspective, with distance, with all these other factors, but there's, there's something else we need to talk about. And and I kind of want to talk about where we're at today. And this is kind of a deep thing, but I think we have to mention it in this episode because as you know, most of our society literally exists and thrives on social media. Wait, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me rephrase that because thrive might not be a really good word to use because that usually means something improves or does really well. So thrive sucks. Don't use thrive. <laughs> Science, let, let, let's just look at this. Science is it's, it's boldly showing us how social media is not improving our society or literally it's not improving individuals at all rather it's doing the opposite and and i often say this social media platform that we all exist on it's responsible for the dumbing down of america And, and we just can't fall into the trap of believing everything we see on social media okay well not the bus stand but let's just pretend that i didn't watch the social dilemma and tell me daryl why are we not to believe like 99.987265% of social media? Well, that's actually fairly easy to explain because let me put this in the simplest terms possible. The, the fact of the matter is we're quickly losing our ability to think critically. And I'm a huge proponent of this because people today, they accept everything as fact. Well, I should say almost everything as fact. And sadly, almost everything posted on social media nowadays, it's opinion and it's not facts. It's kind of hard for many people to differentiate between the two, between fact and opinion. And truth be told, 
it might not really be their fault. And I'm going to explain. I wrote an article a couple of years ago about the sci um, science in a connected world. And literally what that article talked about is years and years ago, like we're talking 1900s all the way up to maybe 20 years ago. Most things you ever read were in print. They were in magazines. They were in books. They were in newspapers. Print costs a lot of money. You're not going to spend a lot of time trying to get something in print if it's just make-believe. And so things that you read years and years ago were pretty well um, reviewed. And, and so they were, they were so much more believable. Nowadays, people don't have to pay for anything. They get on social media and they can write anything they want. And so there's so much more fake believe, some fake news. I, I hate that word, but there's so much more other garbage up there. And unfortunately, people have lost their filter. They don't know how to filter out the garbage from the good stuff. Stuff. What is stuff? Stuff. Stuff. And, you know, that's a, a really good point. Um, and that's a whole lot of stuff being thrown at you. But so, folks, you know, there's some simple steps that one can take to help them discern the, the rubbish from the real on social media or or anywhere on the great interwebs. Um, and quite honestly, it's common sense, yet hardly anybody seems to practice it. Um, I'll give you a simple scenario and then I'll, I'll follow it up with one that's, you know, directly related to our topic. But when you're, when you're not feeling well, do you typically go see a doctor to find out what's wrong? Or do you stop some stranger in a grocery store, give them a snapshot of your symptoms, and then ask them for the diagnosis and prognosis of your ailments? I mean, it sounds pretty stupid and crazy, right? But, but that is exactly what so many people are doing on social media. For example, when a photograph of a feline is posted on, say, Facebook, and you know the poster is wanting help discerning what it is or, or making bold claims about what type of cat it is, but they're often seeking advice, or I should say opinions, from truck drivers, grocery store clerks, waitresses, uh, information security professionals, yeah. um, <laughs> the, the whole list and a whole host of other people that most likely don't have any education or professional training in wildlife issues. You know, the professionals that respond like you know, Daryl and myself, are not only getting drowned out by everyone offering their opinion, but you'd be amazed how many of them argue the evidence that we professionals provide to support our analysis. And that's what the difference is. It is opinion versus analysis. I would expect any one of you listeners to know more about what you do for a living than what I could opine on, um, you know, about what you do for a living. Cause that you, you do it, you know what it is, you know what it's all about. You can give me the ins and out. And if I said otherwise, unless I do exactly what you do, I'm just being crazy, you know, and an arrogant jerk. So the simple yeah. rule of thumb is if you seek wildlife advice, look at the profiles of the people who respond and lean towards the advice of people who work in the field that you're inquiring about, not professional or not, not people who love hiking, not people who love hunting or fishing, not people who spend so much time in the outdoors that they think they're a biologist, because the fact is they're not. So in other words, go see a doctor about your health issues. Don't trust the Walmart shopper. You know, the problem is many people today, they're not looking for a correct answer. They're simply looking for people to agree with their position, however wrong it may be. Oh, you, you are brilliant because I say that all the time. But can, can I throw another caveat in here that really, really chaps my butt? Is, is that an honest question? No, not really, but I'm, I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> I could understand people not knowing any, any better. It, it happens all the time. Not, it's easy to understand, too, because not everyone understands or studies wildlife. And, and it's such a beloved topic. Everyone loves wildlife. And a lot of people believe themselves to be an expert, but that's simply not the case. But here's what really rubs me wrong. It's, it's those people that have malicious intent. Oh, are you, are you talking about the, the frequent flyer images and the ease of photo manipulation? Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. 
And for our listeners, first, let me explain these frequent flyer images. So picture we get an image or someone sends us an image of a quote unquote cougar. And these are the ones that, that people like Steph and I, we see over and over and over and over and over again. And each time it's claimed that this cat was observed in a different area. These are the ones we, we say are the well-traveled kitties because people all over the country has sent us the same picture and they're claiming it to be from their area. And oh my gosh, I think I, I should do a Facebook post about some of our most famous ones, but without a doubt, I think the South African leopard may actually be the most notable of all. You remember that one, don't you? Dude, I'm the one who told you that it was a South African leopard. Remember, yeah. we were at like, we were at no, one of the facilities. No, no. I think yes, I tracked no. it down. No, we were at one of the facilities in Nashville, one of the foundation facility. And I was like, dude. Okay, whatever. I showed you how to All do right. the Google reverse image lookup with that one. That is true. Okay, I'll give you that. All right, we got to stop arguing. We're on, our, we're on yes. air. Anyway, right. let me wrap this up about the malicious intent. Here's the thing. It's not always malicious from that original poster. Because usually as a story goes, that original poster was sent the photos from like a friend or a neighbor or an uncle or whoever. And here's the thing, somewhere along the line, someone knew those photos weren't real or they weren't their own, yet they were pawning them off simply to mislead people. So somewhere along that line, someone is simply trying to be an ass. <laughs> And, and then there's those fake photos, either photoshopped or altered in some way to, to once again mislead people. Ask on move again. Do you remember the one that took me an age that you sent me with the cougar? It looked good. I mean, the cougar face that was in the, the brush to the right of a creek, dry creek bed. Do you remember that one? Wasn't that the one we saw in Lindsay's at the... Uh, the Wilderness Wildlife Week? Yes. No, yes. I, d I, don't, I don't think so. I think that somebody sent it to the agency and you sent it to me. And it's actually a picture. Remember I told you, I was like, this is a picture of P-22, uh, which is for our listeners. That's the Hollywood cat. He lives by the Hollywood sign in California. And it was literally a picture of the most famous cougar <laughs> on, and yeah. like on the planet. And they, they cropped his head out of one of the pictures of him and they, they did a great job. But I was just like, they did a good job, but that, that ain't real. That's P-22. Yeah. So, yeah. Ask clown move. You're right. Anyway, what's really frustrating is when we, you know, professionals like Daryl and I, we chime in um, as comment number 1044. And sadly, nobody sees that. So people just believe it to be true because they only see that primary vote, that, that primary post. And then they, they tell their, their, their everyone, you know? So that's why I often say that we have, uh, you know, we have this influence this sphere of influence. And we need to all use that influence very wisely. Um, you know, it's actually best to, to disbelieve and require scrutiny. You know, I know that that sounds harsh, but reality is technology emboldens the need for that truth. Um, in other words, we need a higher level of scrutiny because of the ease of spreading misinformation that's found on, you know, social media uh, and, and the internet in general. You know, it's better to literally disbelieve until you can confirm than it is to believe and be misled and potentially misleading others. You know, if you repost, for example, but that takes effort on our and your part. And unfortunately, the masses don't usually exert that much effort. You know, this is why we really, really need you folks. You know, the people, <clears throat> excuse me, getting choked up, but the people... <laughs> The people who love wildlife, you know, the wildlife for you followers to take up that torch in the name of good, credible information. Yeah. And speaking of good, incredible information, can I, can I throw one more thing out there? <laughs> sure. All right. Thank you. Here's the thing. We, the professionals, we got to be smart with the way we say things and, and literally not only the way we say things, but what we say. Because in your analogy before, we are the doctors. Uh, we, we don't, 
we don't want to risk our reputation by saying something ill-advised or something that can be easily refuted. And if you want, I can give you a quick example of that. Can you give me one that relates to cougars? Oh, would I ever let you down in that regard? I refuse to comment. <laughs> I know. Um, okay. Do you recall about six years ago when Tennessee had their first ever cougar confirmation? Mm. <laughs> it's a stupid question, I know. But uh, since you were kind of a, a key player in validating the authenticity of that image, I imagine you do remember. But anyway, for our listeners, keep in mind the okay, six years ago, there was this photo that that showed up of of a cougar in Tennessee. Now, keep in mind, this cat was on the western border of Tennessee, and it was the first confirmed free-ranging cougar since, I believe, is like the 1930s. Mm -hmm. Anyway, as you can imagine, that made all the news stations in Tennessee. Heck, I think it even made national, oh, I know it made national news. And here's one of the things that just, uh, I, I hate thinking about it because, Throughout all those interviews, all those television, like it was just the biggest news around there. One of the spokesperson for the state agency did an interview at that time, and he was pretty much recorded saying, Cougars are here to stay in Tennessee. Mm. The problem was that was a lone cougar, and it was this wandering cat. And since it disappeared, it presumably dead. We, we don't know what happened, but it like literally fell off the face of the earth. But since it disappeared, cougars have not been documented in Tennessee in like almost six years. And I tell you what, Steph, it's insane how many times we get that news clip thrown back at us. And, and I just keep seeing people are saying, oh, listen to so-and-so. And it's cougars are here to stay in Tennessee. And, and it's... <laughs> just can't get away from it. But I will say in that person's defense, <laughs> and this is no defense at all, but he was a fisheries biologist. <laughs> and I'm not sure why in the world he was speaking about cougars, but here's the thing. Folks cannot differentiate who's who within an agency. All they'll see is the patch and, and the person speaking with that patch, he is the voice of an agency. That is... I guess, ironically, sadly, hilarious. And all, <laughs> all our hard work right down the flusher. Yeah. <laughs> but it goes to show that even agencies can screw up every once in a while. You know, remember, they are made of people too. And sometimes people do some not so smart things. Just like a universal. What's <laughs> a universal fact when it comes to humans? It's not just UD. But the moral of the story um, with that is there's, there's this lone cat that actually helps prove that cougars are not permanently residing in Tennessee since there's been no more photographs since its disappearance. And we, we tracked it pretty well the whole time it was here through pictures, credible, easy to discern and understand what we're looking at pictures. Then the picture stopped right at the same time the kitty disappeared. So bottom line, when a cougar is present, it's going to eventually get photographed hey can i throw in my recurring nightmare which undoubtedly is going to happen go for it well just think about this stuff one day with fingers crossed cougars will eventually make their return to these eastern states and when they do guess 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 what's going to happen and i'll give you a hint <laughs> we are going to hear those dreaded four words yeah, people are going to be screaming, I told you so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That that is definitely not something to look forward to because they're going to be claiming that they were right all along when, in fact, every bit of evidence actually supports what we biologists have been saying all along. It's, it is so funny how the world works. But, um, so, yeah, holy, come here, holy cow, Daryl, for the, the love of dogs, have you looked at the time lately? <laughs> We might hit the 30 minute, maybe the 35 minute mark on this one. Oh, by, <laughs> by a smidge. You think we need this wrapping it up a bit? Heck no. I can talk about this topic all night long, but <laughs> not sure anyone else wants to. So 
alas, I guess it's probably time we start wrapping it up. Yeah. So don't you have some swap or the, the student wildlands adventure students? Is it wildlands or wildlife adventure program? It's a wild student lands. wildlands. Okay. I know I had it right, but the URL doesn't, doesn't reflect that. So anyway, the student wildlands adventure program or swap, don't you have a, a meat eaters promo event coming up soon? No, because it's a meat eater, not plural, <laughs> but yes, we do have a meat eater event coming up. Um, and I always, I'm always worried about, saying these these dates and times because these podcasts will live forever but if you listen to this podcast prior to march 21st 2021 you can attend our live online event and so just go to our facebook page or the swap facebook page but it's also on the wildlife for you facebook page and you can get information on that event so haven't you listened to their podcast or watched your tv show I don't have network TV service. It's on Netflix. And my good excuse just ran away. No, <laughs> no, I haven't seen it or listened to them. No, but you know, Hey, again, it's a good chance for you to promote the event. Yes. Anyway, if you hear this podcast before March 21st, 2021, uh, visit the uh, student wildlands adventure program, Facebook page, or even the wildlife for you Facebook page, and you'll have to scroll back a little bit, but we're going to have Giannis Putellis, who is the co-host of the Meat Eater Show, as well as Carl Malcolm, who is a special guest on that show, and we're going to be talking conservation stories. They're incredibly intelligent, smart people, and it's not what a lot of people fear of, this is just pure hunting show. This is about conservation. It's, it's just absolutely amazing what these guys focus on and talk about, so um, if you're interested in any type of wildlife conservation, it'd be a great thing. And you get to help these underprivileged, underserved wildlife students realize one of their dreams. Yep. And yeah, we do, we do hope to see some of you there for sure. If you'd like to learn more about SWAP, you can go to SWAP Wildlife, which is why I had a problem with the, the W and the acronym. Anyway, it's swapwildlife.org. Definitely go there to learn more about that program. Um, with that, a quick reminder to follow our podcast and hey, you know, tell all of your family and friends about us too. We're also on Twitter and of course the good old Book of Faces um, or Facebook. Just look for Wildlife for You, all spelled out. Oh, and and of course, remember when it comes to wildlife, it's your knowledge that often means their existence. So night all. So am I really a jerk? Am I really that short? Yes. <laughs> then yeah, you're really a jerk. <laughs>